0: Foodie.
1: Not a Foodie Studio in beautiful Greenpoint, Brooklyn on Radio Rumpa and on your podcast dial. It's the Not a Foodie Show. The Not a Foodie Show is a food and food. Mike is looking at me like I'm crazy. Mike. Hey, Mike, that's Mike Moranty over there. Hey, Mike. I just want to see how long you could go for. I'm, I'm putting on my like my old school radio voice. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Hey, that was it's, a good one? it's Mike Maranti, and it's Tommy Elliot. We're the Not a Foodie Show, your food and food culture podcast and radio show, and I don't know, just general sort of co- coffee clutch of uh, people who talk about food. So, Mike, let's start with food news this week. Yeah. Do you have food news? I've got food news. I have like a little thing that made me smile. I have uh, I have a little thing that made me smile, and then I have some genuine food news. So my little thing that made me smile.
0: Um, remember how we're real into like hot food takes? Yes. Um, all this is from uh, Munchies. Vice is a uh, food outlet. Yes. I well, love Munchies. By the way, like yeah. Munchies,
1: like Munchies. Vice does some really great food news reporting, and it's so oh, it's just on brand for the Vice stuff. Um, and you it's know, take still it or leave it. it's still good. It, yes. Yeah. 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 So, uh, go ahead. What, what's your food news? All burgers should have
0: entire deep-fried crabs instead of buns. Yep. Oh, instead uh, of buns? Instead of buns.
1: No. No, no, no. So, you have a,
0: a deep-fried blue-shell crab on top, then you have your insides of your burger, and then you have another deep-fried blue-shell crab. Soft-shell. So, yeah. It's got to be soft-shell, first of all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's soft-shell. So, right. It's too soft-shell, not blue-shell. Um, but the whole thing is that there's a spot called uh, Tokyo L Works, In Tokyo. It's a brewery. Uh huh. And it's uh, the Connie Burger. Connie is crab in uh, Japanese. Okay. So it's fried soft shell crab, Mm -hmm. crab meat, fried soft shell
1: crab. Wait, wait, wait. Crab meat in the middle? Yeah. So it's it's a crab, crabs instead of buns. A crab crab patty
0: sandwiched between two buns of fried soft shell crab with typical lettuce and tomato fixings.
1: Hmm. I don't know about that. So what I would do is I would say that every burger needs to have a soft-shell crab on it. Like a hamburger, <laughs> put, throw a soft-shell crab on it, not instead of a bun. Instead of a bun. No, <laughs> not instead of a bun. It just needs to be thrown on it because when you bite into a really good soft-shell crab, you get all that crazy like, juiciness and all the, all the stuff that you don't want, it, like the guts and stuff like, that just sort of falls out of it, which is delicious. Um, but you need the bread to sop all of that up.
0: Well, they were comparing it to the um, the KFC uh, Double Down.
1: Oh yeah, which, which was... is what's what's that? That's the chicken sandwich. It's got chicken. Chicken
0: is it's just all meat. Yeah, it, it doesn't. So have a what bun is it? Either. That
1: that was what? It's like chicken fingers are the buns or it or something like that. I don't like remember. That? One second, I'll Google it. Okay. Well, while you're Googling it, I have um I have food news too that actually involves KFC. Oh. What a coincidence.
0: <laughs> that actually was a coincidence. We didn't talk about it. It about totally
1: it. is a coincidence. So. Oh, okay.
0: The KFC Double Down was two fried chicken patties as the buns. Yes. And then it was like bacon and cheese in the middle.
1: Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. It's just. I don't understand that. It's just. It's a gimmicky burger. like The crab? A, I, no, no, no. I, the, 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 the KFC Oh, yeah. Thing. Well, it's fast food. And the crab thing. Um, I don't, like, like I said, the crab thing. I would like to have a, a crab on my burger. I wouldn't use soft-shell crabs for the buns. For the reasons that I outlined, you know, two minutes ago. <laughs> so anyway, I've got two two things of food news. Um, number one involves KFC, and it also involves um, outside of the United States in the Asian region. So in Indonesia, in I think it's China, KFC or Japan, KFC
0: is like for Christmas. It's Japan. Japan. It's, um
1: yeah, it's a very traditional. I think it's Christmas or Valentine's Christmas. Day. Christmas. It's it's a Christmas meal. Yeah, I don't know what the I what the history behind that was, but I remember marketing. reading that. Well, I mean, yes, All But like, why is it just KFC? Like, because they were you know, smart. <laughs> it's, KFC didn't just say go out and eat us on Christmas Day. It yeah. was like in Japan, like maybe Christmas Day you have a quick fast food meal or something like that, and it became KFC. KFC
0: said. Hey, Japan, we're one of the new American fast food chains opening up, and we're delicious on Christmas, and everyone agreed.
1: No, that's not how it happened. (laughs) That is is the unofficial history (laughs) of, unofficial not-a-foodie history of how that happened. What's your KFC news? So my KFC news is from Indonesia. So in Indonesia, um, in a a handful of locations, KFC is now um, selling chicken skins. Just in a bag, like as a side, so you like can buy fried? fried chicken. No, like rubbery, gross raw chicken skins. Mm-hmm. Of course, like chicken fried chicken skins, right. which is the best part of the fried chicken, in my opinion. Right? Yeah. You okay? So I. Uh, I don't think you, there's a bad part of the fried. You scared me for a I, second. No, I, you scared me for a second when you were like, you looked at me like. I no. guess like the
0: worst part of the fried chicken is like the bone, but I don't think there's like a best part. Like it's all good. It's,
1: no, it's actually the the, the skin. <laughs> the chicken fried skin is the best part of fried chicken. So um, they're around a dollar when you do the currency translation. You get a bag of um, chicken skins. And they're called cracklins in the Philippines, but in other places they're just called chicken fried chicken skins. But KFC KFC is doing a lot of really crazy things now. They're going down that – I guess they they started with the – what was the the name of the burger that you talked about? The Double Down. The Double Down. Like with, with, they're also doing something now with uh, Cheetos on the chicken sandwich. Like you can put Cheetos on your chicken sandwich, or I, I don't know. They're they're just trying to go after the crazy stoner sort of whatever, whatever.
0: pays the bills.
1: Yes, no, I think that that's. Uh, I was in college when the not the Taco Bell Dorito
0: taco came out. Uh huh. And like there, I don't think there was a better time to be in college. When no. I was in college, four loco was real, and we had Dorito tacos. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like,
1: did you ever play, um, oh, my brother who was just out of college, I guess, when that, when Four loco was around, used to play, like, Four loco hands? No, that sounds like you just kill yourself. That's you like a way to die. You basically, you take cans of Four loco and you have to duct yeah. tape them to your hands. Edward and, Forty hands, but with Four loco Yeah, with Four Loko. You, with Four Loko. No, yeah, yeah. no, that's a hard pass. <laughs> All right, well, I've got another piece of food news. Okay. Um, This week... Forbes announced that Jay-Z is the, the first billionaire rapper. Yep. Right? Do you know how Jay-Z made his money? Through uh, Ace of Spades and Duse. Yes. So they, they estimate that uh, Entrepreneur Magazine... Um, and Cristal
0: for a little bit.
1: Uh, they estimate that his music probably has brought in around $75 million, where his investments in food... And spirits have brought in over four hundred and ten million dollars. I'm not a businessman. I'm a business <laughs> man. man. But it's so. So there you go. Five times you can be the most successful rapper. You he know, also owns in the, the Forty the Forty Club. Yeah, but that you know how much money a no restaurant nightclubs make? Stupid money. Yeah, but not not four hundred and ten million dollars worth. Like no. that is a blip. Yeah, that is a blip on his thing. So he, um, but he $410 million from Ace of Spades. And Ace of Spades was brought, did he found or he invested in that because he wanted to get away Cri- from Cristal? Cristal, like, um, did him dirty, I believe. I think Cristal, um, there were some internal marketing documents, like, that they didn't like, that rappers yeah. were using Cristal too much. So he got away from Cristal. and. mean,
0: Martin does the same thing. What do you mean? I was talking to a Remy guy, and it was when Fetty Wap was big, and I was like, oh, you guys must be killing it right now with the whole Fetty Wap thing, because his whole thing is uh, 1748, which is the high-end Remy, mm-hmm. and they're like, the guy was telling me, he's like, the higher-ups really don't like it. They don't like the fact that, uh, man, Yeah. Yeah. It's they're, they're just racist. Yeah. That's it. It's, yeah.
1: oh, it's a weird white European, like, you mm-hmm. know, French look at the world, and
0: yeah. It's going to be the theme of today, actually.
1: <laughs> well, um, the other thing that came about with this, this entrepreneur article um, on Jay-Z is that his next investment, or one of his ne- next investments, is in the food and beverage space, and he is doing Marcy, Vent- or Marcy Venture Partners, which is his investment company, just gave a million dollars in capital to Partake Foods, which is a New Jersey-based producer of allergen-free cookies. So my man is So it's no in nut rap. It's is it gl- I green, have green, free, no idea free I cookie? Have, I have it says allergen free cookies in the article that I was reading. They sound boring. Yeah, no, they do. I, <laughs> they do I mean,
0: Hove's making sound investments, but um just it doesn't sound like well, a good so one. So
1: what is he so he's got he's got, you know, his money from making from making music. Um he's got an investment in what is that title, which Tid-
0: which I don't know. I had I a free year of title uh uh-huh. And all it did was show me after it expired, I was like, oh, I should get a music subscription sh- service. So I signed up for Spotify. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, he's got around $50 million worth of real estate. Um, and you know, the rest of the money, you know, is in cash and things like that. But most of his most of his money that he has made um comes from the food and beverage world. So he is a business comma man. Um I get that's all the food news I have. Do you have any more food news you want to talk about, or you want to take a break? Um, I just wanted to talk
0: about how everyone hates Hudson Yards still. It's we, a week, <laughs> a week later, it's a week later since we last told
1: everybody. Everybody still hates Hudson Yards. <laughs> <laughs> for those of for those of you who don't know, Hudson Yards is the new sort of strip mall on the west side of Manhattan that was built. It's this giant neighborhood that was built, and all the food. Not all of the food, but there, there was a lot of hype around all of the crazy new restaurants that were going to be coming um, to the Hudson Yards, and I, I, there are a few shining stars. There's one and a half. There's a couple shining stars in this, in this mix of restaurants, but overwhelmingly people are saying, really just avoid eating at Hudson Yards.
0: Um, friend of the pod, Greg Mirabito, he had a hilarious tweet.
1: <laughs> Why is he a friend of the pod?
0: Because he... Uh, follows me on Twitter and he replied to me. <laughs> All right. Um, so a friend of the pod, Greg Mirabito, All he right. had a hilarious tweet. He was like, can we reboot Gremlins but put it in Hudson Yards?
1: Oh, absolutely. <laughs> that's exactly, when I think of Hudson Yards, that's what I think of. I think of Gremlins too, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, I think that's it. We've got a really good show coming up. We're going to talk. What are we going to talk? We're going to talk. It's no guests today. It's just me and Tom. Old school. Oh, don't tell people that. They're going to tune off now in a second. <laughs> you just lost half of our audience. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to talk Michelin stars. Uh, we're going to talk cheese. We're going to talk drinks. and um, Whatever else we feel Whatever like. else we feel like talking about because we're guestless today. So you're listening to the Not A Foodie Show. On Radio Rampa, on podcasts, at Not a Foodie Show on Instagram and Twitter. I'm Tom, and that's Mike, and we're gonna be back in a minute. Hey Mike, where are we? We're in beautiful Greenpoint, Brooklyn at the BK Media Studio. The BK Media Studio is the home of the Not A Foodie podcast. It's so much better than my dining room table where we started this little venture.
0: It has full video capabilities, full audio capabilities.
1: If you're looking for a studio to record a podcast, to do an interview, to record a YouTube show, or anything, think of the BK Media Studio. The number is 917-300-9123. You can come in, take a tour, book a session tell them that the not a foodie show sent you and i'm sure we'll work out some sort of a discount bk media studio in the heart of greenpoint brooklyn right next to the g train brooklyn's most convenient studio and we are back with the not a foodie show on radio Rampa and on your local podcast dial i'm tom
0: i'm mike follow us Follow us on Instagram on Twitter at Not a Foodie Show. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Mike Moranti,
1: and follow Tom at TMIale. TMIale on Instagram and Twitter, I believe, right? So, Mike, what are we gonna, what are we going to talk about?
0: So we we had a piece of food news that we didn't want to do in the food news segment because we wanted to give it its own segment.
1: Yes, that is the return of Michelin stars to Los Angeles, or the lack of. Uh, well, this is the first year that they're back. Uh, well, yes. The lack of stars. The lack of stars and the return of the stars. So we, we started talking about this. And before we got into the whole, like, Michelin went away from California, from Los Angeles for a while and then came back, like, we wanted to talk about what Michelin stars are and how that all started. So, um, Mike, why don't you explain to people what a Michelin star so, is? And Oh, wait, so
0: what's Michelin? Michelin is a tire company. Michelin is a tire company, and tires are on cars.
1: Tires, well, they're on airplanes. Okay. Some boats. <laughs> I don't know. Boats? I don't know. They're not on boats. No. <laughs> Duck boats. So,
0: um, <laughs> Michelin, for a billion years now, has had the Michelin Guide, which started out in Europe. Is Michelin a French company? Yes. Okay. So, it started out in Europe, uh, so when you're driving around, you would know where to go eat.
1: It started out, like, for people that were driving around the French countryside, like, if they, you know, they these Michelin wanted to put together a guide book for people who were driving around the French countryside that... More places that were, you know. higher end. Noted. Yeah.
0: You know. Like, can't miss spots. Yeah. Um, but it evolved into uh, something really incredible, where it was like, these are the best restaurants in the entire world. Yes. These are the best restaurants in Japan. These are the best restaurants in New York City. These are the best restaurants in Rome, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, in uh, Lyon, where, you know, wherever uh, hot cuisine, fine dining lived, Michelin was there, and for a long time, they were the the, the, the only the end one, all really. be all. Yeah. Then even when Zagat came, Zagat wasn't so much for like, uh, this is worth going, hopping on a flight to New York City for. It was more like you're in New York, so like these are great
1: places. Yeah. To eat I at. mean, for a long time, when I first discovered like fine dining, um, you mm-hmm. know, a couple of decades ago, like it was uh, when I say that I sound old, but yeah, just two was. decades ago, it wasn't. Yeah, it was a couple of decades, a couple is too. um. And, you know, when I first discovered what Michelin stars were, like, I would seek them out. If I was traveling someplace, I would seek out, like, what Michelin star restaurants are in this particular city. Um, And I would go. And Michelin stars are rated from one to three. Um, Three being there's a handful of them, you know, in every country, maybe. The,
0: The rule is if a restaurant has three Michelin stars, it's worth flying to that country just to eat at that restaurant.
1: Yes, that's what they say.
0: Mm-hmm. Um I don't know if Gagan has 2 stars or 3 stars, but it was worth
1: flying to Thailand to, Thailand. to, go eat, at to eat there. Yeah. So so there's that. And then there's the um what is it? The lower one called the Bib Gourmand. The Bib
0: Gourmand is for less expensive restaurants.
1: Well, yeah, and it's they're not they're not reviewed as much or they're not reviewed officially um, by, you know, the, the group of mysterious people that come in to review Michelin restaurants, but they are reviewed and they are recommended that well, yeah, these are good places the, to eat. There's also the Michelin recommendation,
0: which is zero stars, but still, like, a good restaurant.
1: Yeah. So Michelin um, has not been without controversy over the past few years. Um, most people sort of expect something out of michelin stars you, you expect to have a really really fancy meal you expect to generally pay through the nose for that meal um you expect it to be great service great service um i was talking to you know a, a former roommate of mine from decades ago who you know was telling me that the difference between a one michelin or a two michelin star and a three michelin star might be That, you know, there was a spot on your silverware or something like that. Like, it's, you have to have the perfect Mm -hmm. dining experience to have a three Michelin star experience.
0: And also, I feel like if I just, if you're only doing, like, um, really like, poor food, like, cheap food, you'll
1: never get three Michelin stars. And, well, yeah, you're never going to get three Michelin stars. You will get one Michelin star. There's, like, um, that street food place Mm -hmm. um, in Hong Kong. Um, Tim Ho, Tim Ho Wan. Tim Ho Wan, yeah. Yeah, in Hong Kong, which you can get like a $7 meal there and it's yeah. got a, a Michelin star. But, but you never, never get more. Re- yeah. yeah, and you never find places like that. Mm-hmm. Um, So, you know, people are saying that it's, you know, Michelin claims to be talking about the best food in the world, but it's really not the best food in the world. It's the best expensive food in the world. And, and then, even then people are saying that it also, you know, with some notable exceptions, it's generally a sort of white European vision of food. So there's not a lot of like Indian food places. There's not a lot of Thai places. There are exceptions, like you said. Um, you know, the place that you went to, in, Gagan. Gagan, but, that, but in that's uh,
0: Indian and Thai and Japanese like, fusion, fusion tasting menu in Thailand.
1: Right. So like, there even, you know, there's. There is, you, there has been an emphasis over the years on, you know, French fine dining restaurants throughout mm-hmm. the world, and I think that, um, I think that that's part of the issue with them as well. And the other issue with Michelin that people bring up is that there are a lot more male chefs and white male chefs, <laughs> really, is what people say um, that get good reviews in Michelin restaurants. So when you have this whole system where it is extremely sort of secretive of how, you know, how you're reviewed, who the reviewers are, what the, quali- what the qualifications are to get one, two, or three stars, um, you know, and then you sort of publish these results that are skewed one way, you're inviting controversy.
0: Yeah, um, especially if you don't have a good grip on like the local cuisine It just won't be, like, in New York City, I care way more about what Pete Wells has to say than about what Michelin has to say.
1: So, it's funny that you bring that up, because Los Angeles, um, for the first time in nine years, now is being reviewed and being included in the California edition of Michelin stars. So, I believe, for a while, Northern California was still in it, you know, like, the Bay Area Mm -hmm. had its own um, guides, but... Ten years ago, nine years ago, um, they stopped including Southern California. And a very controversial statement by the president of Michelin at the time said something like, um, basically it was like that foodies, like look, people in Los Angeles don't appreciate food. Um, and they they ducked out of Los Angeles nine years ago. Now, a lot has happened in Los Angeles over the past ten years. Uh, but food has really erupted. And I think that food in Los Angeles, I think Los Angeles, um, I'm a New Yorker at heart, I think Los Angeles is the most exciting food city right now in the United States. There's a lot really? going on. More in, than Austin? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, There's a lot going on like diversity-wise. There's just so many different types of cuisine in Los Angeles. But it's what you were saying about knowing your city. Right, mm-hmm. So Michelin, you know, just as you would trust Pete Wells more than you would trust Michelin for New York, um, Los Angelinos, is that what they're called? I guess that's what they're called, um, are are having a hard time with the latest list of Michelin star restaurants in Los Angeles. So
0: before we get into that, I just want to defend my New York statement the, okay. the best way possible. Um, there's only one steakhouse in New York City that has a Michelin star. Luger's. Peter Luger's. Okay. Which, if you we've talked about it before on the podcast. I say if there's one meal, if you can only have one meal in New York City, it should be Peter Luger's. Um, But that being said, I don't think it's the best restaurant in New York City. I don't think it's the best steakhouse in New York City. I I agree. I think it's incredibly important to go at it. I think it's a great meal every time. So if you're giving Peter Luger's a Michelin star, and now you're saying this is the standard of what a steakhouse is to earn a Michelin star, there are four, five, six, seven steakhouses in the city that are just as good if not better than Luger's yeah. that should all have a Michelin star because it's not like an Italian restaurant where I might only do Northern Italian you might only do Southern Italian and I have a Michelin star and you don't. All these New York City steakhouses have a porterhouse, yeah. cream spinach, mashed potatoes, and then a couple of other different things.
1: Well, it's, it's so hard to defend Peter Luger's as the best steakhouse. It's because not. Because Peter Luger's did set the template for the steak. It's the standard. Right? It's the it gold is, standard. And that's it. But like that template has been replicated and there are other things at other restaurants. So you're saying that the simplest thing to cook is a steak. If you you know to do it right, you follow the Peter Luger's template. You mm-hmm. know, obviously they get they've been around forever. They get better cuts of meat, you know, than anybody else. But cooking that steak and it's a delicious steak, but cooking that steak can be templatized, and it has been templatized.
0: If this is the standard of what a Michelin star steakhouse is, this wine list, this cuisine, this dining experience, there's at least four other places in the city where you can get that exact same quality of life,
1: quality of dinner. Quality of dinner, yes, I agree. And, and you can get it with more sides available. Yeah. And you can get it with um, more better... More cuts of steak available. More cuts of steak available. <laughs> a Lube's better wine list. Chicken. And, yeah. And like... <laughs> Things like that. So, yeah. No, I, I agree with you. And I think just to go back to the Los Angeles side of it, like Los Angeles um, is known for more casual dining. There is fine dining there, but it's known for more casual dining. And I think a lot of people were hoping that Michelin would adjust... It's star rating system, based on that. So, you know, you can give a three star review to, you know, a place that uh, a place like uh, Nanaka, uh, mm-hmm. which is, you know, people who have rated this this place Nanaka. I think it's N slash N A K A. I don't yeah. know how you pronounce it. Is it Nanaka? I'm not sure. But it's um, uh, every review that I've read of this place, and I've never eaten there. But every review said this is like the most dynamic and best restaurant that they've eaten at in years. And surprise, surprise, it did not get three stars when the Michelin Guide came out. And people don't know why. You have no idea why. You can't question this, you know. But it might be because it's a little bit less formal.
0: What about sexism, racism, and um, homophobia? You know, when you whisper into a
1: microphone, people can still hear you. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's, that's it, right? Like that's It's an it's a Asian lesbian chef. Well, but you can't... I and I don't know. I don't know the the chef or anything. I know that, that you know. I know that that's come up, um, but I don't know you know anything about that. I just know that when you have this system that do, you can't, you can't give a um, reasoning behind your star rating system, and then you give some place like this that everybody loves less than three stars. It opens yourself up to debate. I have no idea what the reason was. Maybe there was a bug crawling on somebody's food when they were there. Maybe it's racism, sexism. Who
0: knows? Gabriel Kruther has two stars, and they served me rotting fish, and the food that wasn't rotting still wasn't even that good. And they gave me a cocktail Where with two that? types of ice. It's on, the, it's on um... Bryant Park. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I've never been there. You're not missing anything, apparently, but they have two Michelin
1: stars. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that the big thing like with Los Angeles is that they've got this crazy diverse food scene. They have the best Thai food that I've ever had in the United States, outside of Thailand, outside of Asia, outside of Asia has been in Los Angeles. And there were no places that got, you know, rated with that. There is no Korean places. No, you know, no Thai restaurants had any stars this What year. about
0: Mexican restaurants?
1: No Korean, no Filipino restaurants. There was one Mexican restaurant in Orange County. So not in Los yeah. Angeles that well, got... So and then the, and, and
0: here too, the best the best Mexican restaurant doesn't have a Michelin star. Cosme does not have anything, yeah. and it's crazy.
1: And so it's I think that it's not. Um, there's no standard, like or there's no standard that we can tell, like that anybody outside mm-hmm. of that small little circle of Michelin star reviewers can tell.
0: Especially when you have uh, something like Peter Luger's and a template and a bunch of restaurants that follow that same template, unless they're like. Those restaurants can't have a Michelin star because Peter Lugers came first, which is (laughs) totally a ridiculous thing, too.
1: So I feel like the template that is being set to get your Michelin star restaurant is you've got to be a a Eurocentric menu. You have to be really expensive, have a tasting menu, and you have to be in this gigantic space. Um, Someone I saw on on Twitter, someone did one of those um, crazy animated graphs of – uh, prices and abundance of tasting menus in the Bay Area, while or uh, after Michelin said that they were coming back there, and the you just watch it skyrocket. You watch the price of meals skyrocket because people know that to get a Michelin star or to get a high Michelin star rating, you need to have a European menu Foie with gras a very and expensive tasting Uh
0: truffle supplements, and yeah,
1: yeah. and. All of that stuff is awesome. I love all of that. Not not truffle. But all of that stuff. You're not a truffle a, guy? I am a truffle guy. I'm not a truffle on everything guy. Yeah. I am okay. a very big truffle guy, but I'm not a truffle on everything guy. <laughs> um, but, like, I love all of that stuff. But, like I said, I, I, you know, on a certain day of the week, I would have, you know, the Thai food from the strip mall down the block that is never going to get a Michelin star, even though it's the best Thai food that I ever had in Los Angeles, you know? Um so, I don't know. I, I guess my question to you is, does Michelin star matter? No. Like, does in, having a Michelin star I, matter?
0: I would say if, you, if you're a business that gets a Michelin star, you're going to get more money. You know, you're going to drive more traffic. But There's, not having one doesn't mean anything. Yeah. And also, if you're a, a, a serious diner, a professional diner, if you would, um... After you've been to a couple of Michelin star restaurants, you know that they're not uh, created equally. Yes.
1: Um, I agree with that. Because I've gone to Michelin star restaurants like, where that I was blown away by, and I've gone to Michelin star restaurants, where so I was like, I can't believe I overpaid mm. for this crap.
0: So, like, Oksomoko is across the street from us. We go there for lunch every once in a while. Yeah. And uh, their dinner menu is probably what earned them the Michelin star, because they do, like, the tacos and stuff at dinner. They don't do those at lunch. But it's a very, it's a great meal, and it's super, uh, they use really cool ingredients and cool techniques, and... I always and it's really, approachable and affordable. Yeah, and I always really enjoy myself. And, like, they have a Michelin star, which is phenomenal. Um, but they are not as good of a restaurant as Cosme, which is, uh, uh, oh, my God, what's his name? I, I forget. Yeah, whatever. Uh, it, incredible, incredible Mexican restaurant in Flatiron, which I think is the best a la carte menu in the city. Okay. So,
1: that's did, it. Do they not have a, they don't have a Michelin Cosme, star? Cosme, nope.
0: They said uh, they were too inconsistent. Really, which is insane because Gabriel Cruther has two, and they served me bad fish. Yeah,
1: that's that's <laughs> weird. <laughs> I, I don't hold grudges or anything. I think that um, I think that Michelin star is at one point, and and it maybe it depends on the city, like that you're going to. Um, but I think at one point they were my, you know, my compass. That's where I, if I was going to travel, like I would point myself towards a Michelin star restaurant because. That was – when I was making travel decisions, like, oh, we're going to go take a vacation and we're going to be someplace yeah. over – you know, I would look to see how many Michelin star restaurants were in a city. Yeah. I mean, I went to Thailand. Half – a big part of the reason was to eat. Yeah. And and that's that's a popular reason to travel. People do mm-hmm. that. Food tourism is huge. And Michelin, I don't know. I Like, I would, I would look at Michelin, but it is not the be-all, end-all anymore. And I don't think that – I think that we are in an era now where – ethnic food, especially in the United States, is so much more approachable. Like, I hate the term ethnic food. Well, why? I mean, I'm it, talking about from other ethnicities. No, no,
0: I know. Just because in New York now, like, where we're in Forest Hills, Forest Hills is a Chinese neighborhood now. It yeah. has the best Chinese food and to call it like an eth- ethnic food, I feel like... Non-traditional
1: American yeah, food. Ju- it's food, just, food that has come here over the last mm-hmm, hundred years. Because know. it's part of the culture now. Yes but like it's but it's still it's it's non-white is yeah. what it is yeah, so, exactly. so you call it non-white food <laughs> <laughs> but I, I like i hate that that sort of food is underrepresented in the michelin guide um i hate that i like now i look at michelin restaurants and i have this very specific vision of what these restaurants are and it makes me not want to eat at those restaurants sometimes you know, I think one in two Michelin star restaurants, I'm, um, I'm sort of like I could take or leave. Three Michelin star restaurants, I appreciate.
0: One Michelin star sushi restaurants. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Per, can't
1: miss stuff usually, but
0: it, then again, it's like, is it just the omakase? Is it a three hundred dollar omakase, or is it a hundred dollar omakase? Yeah. No. You know, like uh, what Massa we talk about? Massa is a seven hundred dollar omakase. Yeah, uh, you you can't serve me a good enough meal for seven hundred dollars. You can't. It could be seven hundred courses. It could be seven hundred courses of gold and saffron and truffle and foie gras, and it won't matter to me because it's you. You can't serve. You can't charge somebody that much money.
1: Yeah, I I mean I don't know. Well, what do you think is ahead for Michelin? Like, do you think so? They they stopped publishing in Los Angeles ten years ago because they were running into financial issues. I don't think that I don't think that they're going to sell many books in in California after these reviews that just came out. I mean, there's not a lot of restaurants that are on this on this list that people there are beloved restaurants that people were like, this is the best restaurant in Los Angeles and it's not on the list. I mean, what, what do you think is going to happen? You think that they're that they're just going to go away eventually? So,
0: I mean, do if you're not you, if mm-hmm. you're you 20 years ago. You know, someone who's just getting... In, you're, like, 25, and you're just getting into food. Yeah. And then you go to L.A., and you're, you're like, oh, Michelin's back in L.A. You're not going to look and see what people in L.A. are saying about Michelin's reviews about the restaurants. No. They're just going to go look at Michelin. I think their name is strong enough and has enough longev- longevity for it to always
1: be around for some... There's always going to be somebody. I don't know about that. I feel like knowing... Um... They're trying to be the international reviewers, right? But now you've got—I mean, when I local go, reviewers though. Yeah, you've got like like I know if I'm going to go in Los Angeles, I know the food critics that I'm going to look up their recommendations in Los Angeles, and I'm going to
0: just pull up the Infatuation app and yeah. see, get geotagged and see what's around me and see what's going worth exactly, going to. exactly. And, and I don't always agree with the Infatuation guys, but I know at least they're local and, and they they're eat. using local people. Yeah, and and, and yeah. Infat Infatuation does the same thing as Michelin, where they don't announce anything, they pay the full check and they just go and do their thing.
1: Yeah. I mean, and I think that that, I think that's a better standard when you're using local people and know what the local taste of. When I'm eating, I, if I am eating a meal in another country somewhere, I want to eat that local fare. I don't want to eat the white Euro French version of that fare. Like, I'm not traveling, I'm not traveling, even, like, even in this country. Like, I'm not traveling from New York to Austin, Texas to go get fine French dining. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't care if there's a Michelin star French restaurant in Austin, Texas. Unless it's three Michelin stars and it's something that everybody knows about. You know, that's Unless crazy. it's like, in, yeah. Unless yeah. the chef
0: is himself is doing, like, mind-bending right. things. And, like, Alinea in Austin, Texas right. or something. Right, yeah. right,
1: right. Something like that. Like, But I, like, am, I am not going to go there and just look for, you know, a, a look for good local fare. I also...
0: When we're talking about like being disappointed by restaurants, I don't know if there's three Michelin star restaurants that disappoint. I don't know. I have no idea. I don't know. Well, anyway, this was a good segment. Long segment. <laughs> Long segment. I just talked a lot.
1: Yeah, we should take a break while I um while I go get a Michelin star sip of water. <laughs> this is the Not A Foodie Show. Hey, Michelin star! If you want to sponsor the Nana Foodie Podcast, <laughs> I'll go review things much better. <laughs> yeah, in, all over New York City. I. We're at not a foodie show on Twitter and Instagram and we're gonna be back in a minute Hey Mike, where are we? We're in beautiful Greenpoint, Brooklyn at the BK Media Studio. The BK Media Studio is the home of the Not A Foodie podcast. It's so much better than my dining room table where we started this little venture.
0: It has full video capabilities, full audio capabilities.
1: If you're looking for a studio to record a podcast, to do an interview, to record a YouTube show, or anything, think of the BK Media Studio. The number is 917-300-9123. You can come in, take a tour, book a session, tell them that the Not A Foodie Show sent you, and I'm sure we'll work out some sort of a discount. BK Media Studio in the heart of Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Right next to the G train. Brooklyn's most convenient studio.
0: And we're back. Thanks for tuning in to Radio Rampa. It's uh, the Not A Foodie Show. Like, that was a very smooth radio voice. <gasps> and we're back.
1: Yeah. That was good. That was good. I liked it. I like it. I have to keep
0: enticing uh, (laughs) listeners. It's
1: it's very NPR ish, like, and we're back. The music is not very NPR ish, though. No. Uh, So we are back. Who are are we?
0: Yeah. So uh, Greenpoint, Brooklyn, Radio Rampa, here to talk about something very important to me, a very big
1: issue that I deal with almost every day at work. Is it um, sexism in the workplace? no not me no i i don't it, deal with sexism in the workplace is it um i don't know in income inequality in the city of new it's york cheese oh it's cheese oh cheese oh just, okay yeah, 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 yeah. right to the point it's okay cheese. cool cool gotcha. so
0: um i work at a uh, yes. which is a hot new tau restaurant tau fine dining italian restaurant but true italian not red sauce over the top uh silly italian okay And uh, with your, after you order your pasta, which is its own course, not a side dish.
1: I'm just, I have to interrupt and say that over the top silly Italian is now going to be my handle. That's good. That's going to be my new rap name. Over the top silly Italian. So go ahead. Um, So with
0: pasta as a main course, so we bring out the pasta Mm -hmm. and if you get your pasta in a red sauce, we offer um, grated cheese. Okay. We offer two types of cheese. Uh-huh. Pecorino Romano, yes, which is a more intense, saltier uh, is it she- sheep's milk cheese, goat milk cheese? Uh, i no, I don't think it's goat milk. Um, I'm
1: not sure where where's
0: Tia when we need her. I know. Um, okay, but anyway, it's it's so a we, more intense, yeah, it's a more intense cheese, yeah, compared to Parmigiano Reggiano, mm-hmm. which is a 24 month age uh cheese. Mm-hmm. R- rich and nutty and delicious Bo- both of them are delicious i actually tend to prefer pecorino for pasta but parmigiano reggiano is considered the king of cheese and yes it by- for a very eating- good reason and eating it by itself even is probably a more pleasurable experience than eating pecorino by itself.
1: absolutely pecorino yeah. is a milk cheese or a, a, a cow's milk cheese but it's um I, I mean pecorino is it has that saltier flavor it's more of a Seaside sort mm-hmm. of flavor. It's a little bit more intense, um, and Parmigiano Reggiano for me is like nuttier, yeah. and crunchier, and richer, and richer for richer. sure. Definitely richer, um, and it is you know like they call it the king of cheeses for a reason.
0: Then there's another type of cheese called Grana Padano, which is in that same vein as well of the Parmesan and Pecorino. Do you know what the
1: differences there like? No, what is... I
0: no. I also think Grana Padano is a company. Oh, okay. Um, and then. But then there's one type of cheese that people ask for all the time that we don't offer. Okay, what's that?
1: Parmesan cheese. Parmesan, yes. So. <laughs> well, and, Parmesan is the, technically it is the English translation of Parmigiano-Reggiano. It, it translates, you know, to English yes. that way. But, go ahead, but, I know where you're going with this because it pisses me off too. But Parmesan cheese in that
0: green cylinder with holes in it that you hit, so that it comes out all grated already, is literally not cheese. <laughs> it's it, well, it can be cheese. There's cheddar cheese in it, maybe. There's wood pulp in it, maybe. There's cellulose in it. Maybe. I don't even know what cellulose it's, is. It's,
1: well, cellulose is um, I mean, it's a type of uh, protein. Is that right? Is it the p- know, it sounds right. Plant yeah. fiber. It's a. It's like the outside of a cell, right? Like yeah, like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah so. sure. Um, but it's so I say maybe to all of this is because the big difference between Parmesan tree, Parmesan trees, Parmesan, Parmesan cheese. cheese in the United States, um, and Parmigiano Reggiano in Italy is that Parmesan cheese is pretty much unregulated. Like it could be anything. almost anything outside of in like the United antifreeze. States. So like it, like I said before, like Parmigiano Reggiano, Parmigiano Reggiano is the king of Italian cheeses, and there are regulations. Like it's you know it's it has made, to be
0: twenty-four month aged. I, does it have to be? I think minimally. it has to be a year. No, two years. Okay, minimally.
1: two years minimum. Uh, but it it has three ingredients, and that's it. That, it's, and that's it, it, it's true. not allowed to have anything else.
0: Pretty much, that's what all cheese should be. Any good cheese is really just milk, uh-huh. rennet, which is the uh, bacteria that turns the milk into cheese, and salt. Right. Which I and I guess I different cheeses have different salt contents and whatnot as well. So it's like
1: and different rennets that are used and yeah, you know, different things like that. But um you know, Parmigiano-Reggiano, you, the milk has to be from the Parma-Reggio region. Um, it has to be less than 20 hours from the cow to cheese. So the cow is milked, and then it has to be started to make cheese like right away. Um, so there are all these regulations for it to be called Parmigiano-Reggiano. The English translation, Parmesan, in England, Parmesan is Parmigiano-Reggiano. In most of Europe, if you say Parmesan, you're getting Parmigiano-Reggiano. In the United States... If you say Parmesan, there are no regulations. And I think what you're talking about, where it can contain cheddar and wood chips and things like that, is when they did this study and FDA. And they found out that there was actually no, like 0% Parmigiano Reggiano Mm -hmm. in a Green Craft, you know, 100% grated Parmesan cheese thing.
0: If you ever taste that next to Parmigiano Reggiano, you don't need any scientific study to know that these two things are very different,
1: they're completely different. Yeah, I mean, it's... It, like I said, it's all about regulation, and we have no regulations with that in this country.
0: The The only thing that we do really well is uh, beef.
1: Uh, as far as Like rating, USDA Prime USDA and stuff like that, we do systems. very well. Okay. And,
0: and uh, AVA's, American Viticulture, uh, areas. Okay. That we do well. Outside of that, we don't do anything well, especially when you compare it to, like, the Italians and the French.
1: Okay, gotcha. Well, I mean, I, the Parmesan... In, in this country really bugs me because it's something that everywhere else in the world, when you say Parmesan, you think you're getting Parmigiano-Reggiano. And there are rules that state if you say Parmesan, it's Parmigiano-Reggiano from this region in Italy, this type of milk that has these regulations. And when you come to this country and you get Parmesan and you can get something that's completely different, it's it does a disservice to First of all, American taste buds and American culture. Second of all, you're stealing from from Italian culture,
0: and like, you're hurting them yes. by put you by just putting out like a bad product and saying like, oh, this is what this is.
1: Yeah, like I, I mean, like you said, if you put the two of those things next to each other, no one would ever confuse Parmigiano Reggiano with you know, Parmesan cheese from the green container that you shake onto your pizza or pasta or whatever. If
0: you come to Ferreche and ask me for Parmesan cheese, I will give you Parmigiano Reggiano, though, so you don't have to worry about that.
1: <laughs> All right, cool. Um, but well, So what do you use Parmigiano Reggiano for?
0: Um, I like to eat it cubed. I, I really prefer using Pecorino in pastas. Uh, cause I, I do, too. I feel like the sweetness of the tomato with the saltiness of the Pecorino is really, really good together. And also... Uh, it just it imparts more flavor than salt, with giving that saltiness. So I can just use that as a seasoning. Almost I, in my
1: house, we call the we always have, we have a thing of pecorino romano. Um, in fact, for a long time, I thought it was just called locatelli because that's the brand name that we had. Um, I had no idea that it was called locatelli's you know version of pecorino romano. But it is a pecorino romano, a real pecorino romano, and it is uh, I, I use it as Italian salt in our house. We just put it on everything. Do you know what um, Italian MSG is? Uh no, but that sounds like about it. Yeah. Anchovies. Anchovies, yes, that's a good one. Well, I mean, I but I I think that the whole takeaway from this is that you have to you have to know this information. Like you have to know that you're being cheated. Mm-hmm. Like you are the victim as the consumer. When you see like a green thing of parmesan cheese, you should know that this has no Italian ingredients. This is not an Italian cheese or it anything has like wood. that. <laughs> like, it's not. I mean, it, you're looking at it, and it's not like it's going to kill you. Like it's not like you're you're having poison. It might, it might. but you're you're being sold something that you have no idea what it is. And it, it's our whacked out FDA regulations in this country that like allow that to happen. Well, not only FDA regulations, but also crazy copyright you know regulations mm-hmm. like the cheese companies in this country say, okay, we're going to call it Parmesan because we can call it Parmesan. It we're close trying it, and, it's close enough. Yeah. It's close enough, but it is not. It's a completely different thing. Um, you know, like if you, t- if you talk about the um, Parmigiano Reggiano in Italy, you know that you're getting something that doesn't have any hormones in it. doesn't have any chemicals, no antibiotics, no steroids, nothing like that. When you buy Parmesan cheese here in the United States, it could have all of that stuff, and you have no idea because there are no regulations that say this is what a Parmesan cheese is in the United States. Anyway, <laughs> so you said you were going to be, be like pissed off about this, but this really makes me crazy. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Let them know. Yes. Tell them why they tell them why you' mad. Yes, exactly. You you know it's a really good book um, about this. It's called Real Food, Fake Food. Um, it's by Larry Olmstead, and it's probably, I don't know, maybe five or six years old, this book. And uh, the title of, of the book, you know, is, like I said, Real Food, Fake Food, but then it says why you don't know what you're eating and what you can do about it. And it's a really good book about these sorts of things, so about fish mis- mislabeling. Oh, that that's a whole segment. Which we can do a whole yeah. other set. Like the fish that you're eating, there's a 90% chance. That, the fish that you're being sold is a 90% chance that it is not what, <laughs> unless you bought it from a fisherman that you know and trust, that red snapper that you're buying is not actually red snapper. Or the
0: white tuna. Lit, oh. uh,
1: yeah, the white or the that that bright orange salmon <laughs> is not actually bright orange salmon. Um, but you know, it's the book is really good. Um, and it goes through, you know, sort of how to buy how to buy products that you can trust and what products you should never trust. Like there are some things that you should never ever buy in this country because they're not it's not what it, you know, you're not buying what you think you're buying. Um, anyway, <laughs> that's it. Mike, any more to add on cheese?
0: No, no, I think we, uh, we'd said enough for today.
1: Yes, I know. And we're cheese lovers, and that's why. That's why this is like so in- infuriating. All right. <laughs> this is the Not a Foodie Show. At,
0: at Not a Foodie Show. Yes. Instagram and Twitter. At Mike Moranti. Instagram and Twitter. At Team Me Alley. Team Me Alley.
1: Instagram and Twitter. And we'll be back in a minute. Hey Mike, where are we?
0: We're in beautiful Greenpoint, Brooklyn at the BK Media Studio.
1: The BK Media Studio is the home of the Not A Foodie podcast. It's so much better than my dining room table where we started this little venture.
0: It has full video capabilities, full audio capabilities.
1: If you're looking for a studio to record a podcast, to do an interview, to record a YouTube show, or anything, think of the BK Media Studio. The number is 917-300-9123. You can come in, take a tour, book a session tell them that the not a foodie show sent you and i'm sure we'll work out some sort of a discount bk media studio in the heart of greenpoint brooklyn
0: right next to the g train
1: brooklyn's most convenient studio and we're back with the not a foodie show on radio rampa and wherever podcasts are sold (laughs) <laughs> Sold. Sold. On iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Play, on I don't know. That's the dream to be able to sell a podcast. <laughs> yes. So Mike, it's the end of the day. It's a long day. You've you've been recording awesome food and food culture podcasts all day. What are you gonna make for a drink tonight? A
0: Singapore sling.
1: Ooh. So Singapore sling is one of those drinks where um, I've heard a million times. I don't think I actually know what's in it. I'm sure that have I've, you had one. I'm sure that I have. Yeah. I'm absolutely a hundred percent sure that I've had a Singapore it, Sling. It is a drink no where
0: pe- I'm going to go and say ninety nine percent of people that have had one have no idea what's in it.
1: Okay, so like even after they taste it, yeah, it's like a Long Island iced tea. Like you take a Long Island iced tea. I mean, Long Island
0: that. iced tea is just a bunch of booze and uh, it's all the all the base spirits, uh, Coke and sour mix. R- okay, um, Singapore Sling is. Gin, cherry liqueur, so like a uh, cherry hearing or maraschino or a Luxardo maraschino. Luxardo, yeah. Uh, Cointreau, which is like a uh, orange liqueur. You can use Grand Marnier. You can use Triple Sec. Okay. Uh, Benedictine. Oh, yeah. Which, which is sort of like a brandy, but it's, not.
1: It's like hazelnut, isn't it? No. No? Um, thinking of something different then.
0: Grenadine. Okay. But, so there's like... It sounds the, like a drink bad. that my, like,
1: seven-year-old daughter would love.
0: Well, it's like a drop of grenadine. Okay. It's not a lager, but it's... Um, if you make your own grenadine, it's a lot better than.
1: And, and I,
0: I also just thought about how you said your daughter, your seven-year-old daughter, would love a gin drink. So it's... that's <laughs> um, pineapple juice, lime juice, and Angostura bitters. Okay, so it's so, a lot of stuff, and it's it's very strong, uh-huh. and it's really just yummy. Um, you shake it, pour it over a highball, and garnish it with some pineapple and some cherry.
1: It's one of those drinks where um, so there's a, there's a bar in England called uh, the the Hawksmoor. That is, um, it's like a, it's a, it's a church to cocktails. Like you go in and they, your cocktail menu is like this leather bound Bible that has um, just a tome written about every single cocktail. And there are certain cocktails where they're like, we will only serve you two of these. We won't serve you anymore. <laughs> and I think the Singapore Sling should be on that list of you know, of cocktails that you should only have one of them, the, along with, like, what, the the zombie maybe is one of them. Or, I We
0: did one of these, and I said one of the cocktails, and you're like, yeah, that's one of the drinks that they won't make more than two of.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's, um, it, I mean, it's a great... I haven't been there in years, and it... Is it in of, London? It's in London, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, you know, it, it was one of the first um, cocktail culture sort of bars outside of New York City, um, where Well, they,
0: co- cocktails are a very American thing. Like, specific, like, truly... American. The Singapore sling actually was invented in Singapore. Mm-hmm. And like Japanese bartending has its own culture and everything, but like
1: grassroots, like down to it, uh, the cocktail really is American. I read a, I don't know if this is like folklore or not, but I read about the martini, the invention of the martini. Uh, how the martini was, uh, what was it? It was people wanted to drink vermouth, but vermouth would go bad. When, you do, when you're expanding out west. So over long periods of time, in barrels, on wagons, during you know, U.S. expansion out west. So to combat that, they added gin. And I have no idea if this is just old folklore I've or not. I've never heard of this. Yeah, and that's how the martini, that, that is the earliest sort of known, written down, mixing vermouth and gin to make a drink called the martini.
0: Have you ever realized my last name's an anagram of martini? Um, Same letters. No, yeah. I have not. That's interesting.
1: Do you know um, if you rearrange some of the letters in my name, it spells both pig in Italian and honey in Italian? What's honey? Mayali. M-A-I? No, M, I don't know. M-I-E. M-I-E. Okay. Yeah. So it's not, you, you just add a letter there. <laughs> <laughs> so if you just change my name, yeah. it actually changes to honey. <laughs> so I have a little, um, for my cocktail. I I need help naming it. So I'm, I it's a cocktail that I've that I've invented. Based on the Not a Foodie show, it is I I you Just very, pork fat rendered yes, yeah, yeah yeah fat bacon fat washed bacon no vodka. but but you introduced me to my new favorite drink of the moment, which is the Harlem Sapphire. Shout uh, out shout out Chris Sapphire. Chris Sapphire from Little Bean Coffee up in Harlem. So the Har- Harlem Sapphire is their cold brew, which is... Triple voted... cold brew, second best in the United States,
0: best in the city. Yeah, I
1: mean, it is an insanely intense and amazingly flavorful cold brew coffee, right? So And it's got these notes of berries and chocolate and its sweetness and its, you know, but it's it's coffee. It is, it is really hardcore, like, awesome caffeine, you know, caffeine... Shakes inducing coffee, and I love it. It's like one of my favorite things, right? And when Chris was on the show a few weeks ago, he was talking about how it's sort of meant to be drank. Like they serve it in a brandy glass or a martini. A, glass it's a stemless
0: or, martini glass.
1: Okay, so they serve it like like that. So it's not meant to be taken down with a straw in a and big they, giant and Dunkin' they Donuts. They shake it. They uh-huh. shake
0: it in a shaker and then they
1: pour it. They uh, they strain strain it. it. Yeah. So there's no. It's not served with ice, but it's served
0: chilled. It's so it's served up. Chilled, like a martini, okay. yeah.
1: So, and I think I mentioned on the show that I think it would pair well with this rum that I had sampled. Bamboo, bamboo? Bamboo. Bamboo, which is the original rum. So, I've been experimenting. I've been experimenting mixing bamboo I've rum. just been drunk. Yes. <laughs> I've been drunk and caffeinated at the same time. So, that's what I'm, that's what I'm going to drink. It's um, one part... Of uh, Harlem Sapphire and one part Bumbu, which is this uh, this rum that comes from uh, the West Indies, and it's they call it the original rum, um, but it's it's really delicious and it has notes of like sugar cane and caramel and banana.
0: I'm gonna call it a fifty fifty rum Manhattan, coffee rum Manhattan. No, but you got like <laughs> it's so that's, many
1: words. It's too many words. Come on, put your marketing hat on. <sighs> oh, you gotta put your marketing hat on, and you have to. Um, you have to realize where it came from. It came from the Not a Foodie show. I would not have invented this cocktail were it not for the Not a Foodie show. So, I don't know. Give me give me give me some I need like 3. Give me 3 names. You already gave me one. The 5050 rum 50, 50, Rumtini. The, no. That's very that's what they drink on sex in the city. That's like horrible. <laughs> shout out to another guest of the Bradshaw Boys who are on this show talking I, Sex and the I don't City. know if
0: you're following them. They just finished season three. They're, <laughs> they're going straight oh, through it.
1: So, yeah, we're going to give a quick shout out to the Bradshaw Boys. If you don't follow the Bradshaw Boys, it's a bunch of dudes who um, never saw Sex in the City and they just decided that they were going to um, watch all of the seasons of Sex in the City and do a podcast after not each, each episode. episode. So, it's a really great podcast and a really great Twitter feed to follow. But anyway, it's um, a, not a Rumtini, not a Rum Manhattan. I don't know. The Harlem Shake. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what about, it's like West Indian. Where is this like uh, this it's from Barbados. So, I like are, a Barbation the Barbation Shake. I don't know. I
0: don't think if it's, if you're from Barbados, you're Barbation. I don't know. I don't I'm making that's this the
1: right up. I, you know, terminology. <laughs> but we can call it what we want. We're marketers now. We're putting we, on our marketing hat.
0: I mean, when you make a cocktail, you just name it something.
1: Uh, well, that's, that's what I'm asking you to do right now. It's I name, did. I gave of... you
0: three names. You gave
1: me three.
0: What well, the rum teeny is terrible. Rum rum is awful.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, uh, I
0: would also add something else to it, probably.
1: Yeah. Like what?
0: Um uh creme de cacao, or but like a good one. Like a chocolate liqueur. Like a nice chocolate. Eh, mm-hmm. Or chocolate. Actually, but, you know what
1: but I don't want it to be too I don't want it to be too no, sweet. So there's put, a lot no, no, of no. flavor. I
0: would put walnut bitters in it.
1: Hmm. I don't you know what I you just you just came at me with um with something and it made me think of that what's that ancho chili liqueur? That um, uh, Reyes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a little bit of Reyes in it, because there's, there's a lot going on on the sweet side, so if you add a little bit of spice to it. All right, so that's it. That's my new cocktail. We, we just invented it. We're going to call it the Spicy Barbation Harlem Shake. That's it. The Spicy Barbation <laughs> Harlem Shake.
0: I would do um, half an ounce of the Reyes, uh-huh. uh, one ounce, two, two ounces coffee, two ounces rum.
1: There we go. Yeah. That's it. How do you serve it? Uh, Shaken over ice. Shaken over ice. Cool. That's it. There you go. You're caffeinated. You got some spice. You got some sugar. This is, uh, this is an award-winning cocktail that you're going to sell for $20 a glass at your restaurant. Perfect. All right. Great. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that about does it for the Not A Foodie Show, but uh, I don't know. Mike, you have anything else you want to talk about today? No, I think we did a good job. <laughs> All right. Well, that's a good thing because there's our cue music.
0: At not, on in, at, not show, and at not A Foodie Show on Instagram and Twitter.
1: At Not Foodie Show on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at T-M-I-A-L-E,
0: Tmiale. Mike, who are you? At Mike Miranti, M-I-K-E-M-I-R-A-N-T-I.
1: All right. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon. Hey, Mike, where are we? We're in beautiful Greenpoint, Brooklyn at the BK Media Studio. The BK Media Studio is the home of the Not A Foodie podcast. It's so much better than my dining room table where we started this little venture.
0: It has full video capabilities, full audio
1: capabilities. If you're looking for a studio to record a podcast, to do an interview, to record a YouTube show or anything, think of the BK Media Studio. The number is 917-300-9123. You can come in, take a tour, book a session, tell them that The Not A Foodie Show sent you, and I'm sure we'll work out some sort of a discount. BK Media Studio in the heart of Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Right
0: next to the G train.
1: Brooklyn's most convenient studio. Hey everyone, it's Tom from The Not A Foodie Show. Are you a small business looking to advertise to a food and restaurant loving audience? The Not A Foodie radio show has advertising opportunities available that fit a range of budgets. For a free consultation or for more information, email info at notafoodie.com. That's info at notafoodie.com. Hey Mike, where are we? We're in beautiful Greenpoint, Brooklyn at the BK Media Studio. The BK Media Studio is the home of the Not A Foodie podcast. It's so much better than my dining room table where we started this little venture.
0: It has full video capabilities, full audio
1: capabilities. If you're looking for a studio to record a podcast, to do an interview, to record a YouTube show, or anything, think of the BK Media Studio. The number is 917-300-9123. You can come in, take a tour, book a session, tell them that the Not A Foodie Show sent you, and I'm sure we'll work out some sort of a discount. BK Media Studio in the heart of Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Right next to the G train. Brooklyn's most convenient studio.